was a great song to lead us into this time of worship with the Lord. We were once his enemies. Now we can be seated at his table, thanks to the blood of Jesus. As a recap for where we've, where we've been in our time beholding the Lord, just remember, we're here this weekend to behold our Lord. Psalm said, one thing I want, one thing I'm seeking after, is to behold our God, to worship him. He is worthy of our praise. Many distractions try to fill our life. And this morning, maybe the distraction of sleep we might try to fill your, fill your mind. But ignore it. Keep it at bay. We're here for one thing. We're here to worship God. We're here to worship our Lord. We've seen God as holy. We've seen him as pure, high and lifted up, set apart. No sin or defect is found in him. He's the definition of what is good. We are to look to him. He is worthy of our praise. He is the one who's in full control, sitting on his throne, reigning over us. We sing that he is the awesome God. He's the creator, sustainer of our life. He is big. He holds everything in his hands. You're nothing compared to him. We're specks of dust. We're less than nothing in comparison to our awesome, holy God. And as we come to this passage this morning, that's the God we need to be remembering. We need to see God as holy. We need to see God as awesome. We're going to turn to Isaiah 53. Are we reading this? We're beholding our selfless Savior. We're going to start in chapter 52, verse 13. That is the whole thought of this passage from Isaiah 52, verse 13, through the end of chapter 53. So starting in Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as from one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. God, you are so awesome, so holy, so mighty, and yet you have humbled yourself You came down to earth and bore our sorrows. You were punished for our iniquities. Lord, help us to worship you as we are in this passage this morning. Help us to behold you as high and lifted up. Help us to be thankful in our hearts for what you have done to save us. Let us see you as awesome. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you guys look at this passage and just and worship as we're reading it. So look at first we're going to look at our humble Savior. We'll look at the God servant. As as we're have we, as we've been beholding the Lord this weekend, this passage takes us in a much different direction than the previous two. The same God who is holy, seated on His throne, the same God who created life with a word. And holds the oceans in the palm of his hand. This God, a same God, humbled himself and became a man. Someone who seems so far away, untouchable, he became a man like us. This holy, awesome God became like you and me. He stepped into this messed up world that is tainted with sin to redeem us. This God, who could rightly punish us for our sin, Stoop down to our level to make a path back to him. He would be just to destroy us, just to punish us. But he comes down to earth, to our level. Makes a path back to him. It's important that we don't disconnect the servant in this passage from the God we've been seeing in the previous passages. This is the same God, the same qualities. This servant is talking about here is the Son in the person of Jesus, serving the will of the Father to accomplish the redemption of his people for his glory. In Isaiah 52, verse 13, it says that he is high and lifted up. Does that sound familiar? High and lifted up. Think back to chapter 6, where we were yesterday. We saw the Lord, the Holy Lord, sitting on his throne, high, lifted up. Now the Lord is high and lifted up in a different way. Instead of being lifted up on a throne, 
Where is he? He's lifted up on a cross. God didn't have to humble himself, but he did. He chose to redeem a people for himself, to save us so that we can live with him forever and worship him. Jesus obeyed the Father perfectly, and the creator became part of the creation. I want to go back through this chapter. This is such a great chapter. I want to go through this slowly, verse by verse. And let's just take a little bit of time to go through this in detail. Verse 13 of chapter 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. The servant Jesus shall act wisely. He's accomplishing the purpose for which he set out. He's not going to fail. He should be high and lifted up. He should be on the cross. He should be exalted. He's something he's worthy, something to look at. But he's on the cross this time. Bearing our sins. That God who's on the throne is on the cross. He doesn't deserve to be there. That's where he is. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. You, you, look, you would look at Jesus, and you couldn't recognize him. His appearance is so marred. Doesn't even look, barely looks human. You look in the New Testament when he's getting beaten by the Roman soldiers, when he's getting spat upon, when he has the, the crown of thorns pushed into his skull, the blood dripping down. You look at him, you can't barely recognize him. That's the holy God who is on the throne can't even recognize him. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. The blood that's dripping from his head, he's sprinkling many nations with it. The blood, is, he's sprinkled on you to save you. As he's being pierced and crushed, as the blood is dripping down, He's using that to sprinkle many nations. It was your blood, my blood, that deserved to be poured out. And his blood is on us instead. The kings shall shut their mouths because of him. Those should be in humiliation. They should be humbled. And see, they see now that God, that, that, that man that they killed is God. They understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You see around the world now, people don't believe in him. This free gift of salvation. People back then didn't believe in him. It was right before their eyes. And they did not believe in him. It was right there. And we miss it. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we desire him. You see, see Jesus in the, in the New Testament and you see that he's not, nothing special. It's not like you look at him and say, wow, that's, that's God. He's just a normal, normal human being. It isn't, he could have chosen any form, but he didn't choose the, the most handsome man to ever exist. He's just a, a normal guy. Just look at him. Nothing special. You see, when he came to earth as, as a baby, he didn't come with just a a triumphant entrance. He didn't come and be born into a rich family or successful place. He came to 
the least of the tribes. He, he came into Bethlehem, and he came born to a teenage girl, a poor teenage girl who didn't have anything. He came and was born in a stable, the lowest of starts. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This God, this holy God, was despised, rejected. People don't just like accept him and say, yes, yes, let's be around him, let's, let's go follow him. He was rejected time and time again. And he was a man of sorrows. He was sorrowful. He experienced sorrow. How can a holy, awesome creator experience that sorrow, that grief? He became like us. He experienced suffering. He experienced pain and agony. He experienced temptation. People hid their faces from him. They don't want to be associated with him. They don't want to be associated with the holy God. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He wasn't just sorrowful and had his own pains and, and troubles. He bore ours. He carried my sorrows, your sorrows, your pains, your hardships. And what, what did we think of him? What do we think of him? It's like, he's stricken by God. He, he's punished by God. He's, he's on that cross. That's, people on the cross are criminals. They're cast off by God. He, he's there because he's bearing our sorrows. He's bearing our griefs. We don't esteem him. All we like, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. The nails pierced his hands, his feet, his side. He was crushed for us. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. He was up there for us. He was taking that punishment for us. That should make us worship him. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned, every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Even though he's up there on the cross, bearing our sorrows and pains, being pierced for us, crushed for us, what do we do? We're like sheep. We just go to our own way. Just do our own thing, our own plan. We don't care. We're going astray. Everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He laid our punishment, our guilt on him, even though we're doing our own thing. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He is the just God. He is the holy God. We deserve to die. Those people who are punishing him and afflicting him, they're beating him, spitting on him. He just strikes them down. He doesn't even open his mouth. He doesn't say, oh, you shouldn't do that. You don't know who you're doing that to. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything. He keeps his mouth shut. He does it humility. He's there for a greater purpose. Our salvation. 
By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Who, who thought about the, these, these things? Who's thinking that like he's, he's getting oppressed and judged? And he's getting stricken for us. We don't, we don't consider that. We don't think about these things. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. As he was crucified on the cross, there's two criminals on either side of him. With the wicked. He was treated like a common criminal. He was with the rich man in his death. He's Joseph of Arimathea. He was buried in, in his tomb. He didn't do anything wrong. And there was no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. This is the holy God. He can't have any do anything wrong. He can't have any deceit in his mouth. He's just treated as a common criminal. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Even though he had done nothing wrong, it was the will of the Lord to crush him as if he had done something wrong. Why? Because you and I have done something wrong. He took our guilt on himself. He put him to, he crushed him. He was pleased the father to crush the son. To accomplish our salvation for his glory. It was the will of the Lord. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He's up there on the cross. He's in anguish. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His anguish of his soul, he's, he's saving us. And out of the anguish, he sees and he's satisfied. What does he say? It is finished. He accomplished the purpose for which he set out. He's satisfied. He did it. It's finished. He made us righteous. He bore our iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil of the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Where is he now? He's at the right hand of the Father. He accomplished that which he set out to do. He poured out his soul till death, was numbered with the transgressors. What did he do? He bore the sin of many. He saved us. He took our guilt, the suffering that we deserved. And where is he now? For you, Christian, he's making intercession at the right hand of the Father, saying, God, this one I paid for. This one's mine. Yes, he's sinning. She's sinning over and over again. I, I took that punishment. I bore their sin. He's making intercession for us. So I hope, hope this is causes you to worship God. He's our selfless Savior. We also see that he is the wronged servant. You see how wronged he is over and over again in this passage. Just this holy God is wronged. How are, how are you with serving others? Do you go out of your way to serve them? How are you with serving your friends, your family? Is it easier to serve strangers? 
How about those who specifically and intentionally hurt you and wronged you as, as Jesus was wronged? We can feel justified in writing people off who have hurt us. We have trouble forgiving those who sin against us, especially if they seem unrepentant, if they're not being repentant. It can be hard to forgive them, hard to accept them, to love them, to serve them. Loving people seems so much easier when we can get something out of it. Maybe it's they love us back, or maybe they get some, we get some recognition. But that's not true love. That is not really loving others. In a culture that's all just about me, my wants, my needs, my desires, it can be hard to love and serve as we ought. How does the servant in this passage act? We can see that he was marred, despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, stricken, smitten, afflicted, pierced, crushed, chastised, wounded, oppressed, judged, cut off, killed in anguish, and numbered with the transgressors. All this happened to him, and he bore it without sin. He didn't open his mouth to complain. He didn't retaliate or strike them down as he would be just to do. He bore it. He poured out himself for us. We can see the fulfillment of this in the New Testament. We see his people rejecting him repeatedly. He's living on the road, doesn't have a home, pouring himself out for others. What does he get in return? He gets rejected, betrayed, forsaken. We see him being beaten by the Roman soldiers, spat upon, crown of thorns placed on his head. We see him being lifted up on a cross with criminals on either side of him. We see him being killed, pierced in the side. Jesus was wronged in so many ways. It was all unjust. As the holy God, he does not deserve any wrongdoing. As the creator, it was an atrocity that the creation should treat him in this way. It's wrong. He's the holy God. He, he made us. He created us. How do we treat him? How does he respond in all this? He bore it, did not retaliate. It was all part of his plan to save us. How do we respond when we're treated unjustly? It can be hard. We could, we could try to respond like the servant in this passage, but it's hard. We love it. I, I love it when justice prevails. There's a satisfaction when wicked people get what they deserve. And it can be hard to send grace and love. You want to see wicked people suffer. If somebody's doing wrong, you want them to pay. And I love justice even when it means I'm wrong. I'm in the wrong. I want there to be justice. I want the right party to win. I am, I am partial to a particular football team. as an example. In, in 2021, I was fortunate enough to be able to watch them play in person. My team was a visiting team playing at the other team's stadium. And I was one of the few people there rooting for my team. When they lost, all the fans from the home team were pretty vocal about what they thought about me and my team. When I stopped in the restroom on the way out, big mistake, don't do that. Uh, it got really bad with a lot of insults and obscenities directed at me. 
uh, mostly from pretty drunk people. Later in the year, after my team knocked this team out of the playoffs and we won the Super Bowl, I thought back to this moment. In the restroom line with me was a little boy, also wearing my team's jersey. We were just standing there, not saying a word, we weren't talking or anything. Everything's going around in this chaos. And in the midst of all that, he looks at me, with just a little smile on his face, and he just did this motion with his hand. <laughs> it's all talk, right? You, you, can, you can get, people can try to tear you down and, and uh, say mean things to you, whatever, but it's just talk. You don't need to, you don't need to respond in turn. Right? Even if you know you're in the right, you can respond in humility. A servant is like that, right? He's getting abuse hurled at him, and he's just, it doesn't matter. Let's just talk. The servant recognized that there's something greater at hand than, than just meeting out justice. Easily, he could have meted out justice, poured out his wrath on us. God will take care of that in the end. There will be a day where he comes back in his wrath and justice and pours that out on those who do not believe in him. We need to be, that's not our job though, right? That's not our job. We need to be humble like the servant in this passage. We need to be loving others. Our job is to serve the Lord, to point others to him. Justice is awesome. And it hurts when we're treated unjustly. Or if someone makes wrong assumptions about us. How do we respond when that happens? How does Jesus, the perfect, holy, sinless, awesome creator of the universe, respond when being treated unjustly? He responds in perfect humility. He responds in love, grace, and forgiveness. He had every right to rain down his just wrath on us filthy sinners. This is the holy God we're talking about here. He's every right. He responds in humility. Let's look at our promise-keeping Savior. This suffering and sacrifice didn't just happen on a whim. It wasn't just as if one day God's like, I got an idea. I'm going to send my son down. He's going to pay for their sin. God knows all things. And Jesus coming to earth to suffer and die for us has always been the plan. We see it promised since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, at the fall. as the first indication of the gospel. That he would come and suffer for us and die for us. That's the point of the Old Testament, to point to Jesus. Particularly this passage. This chapter reads as if it was written after Jesus' death. With the accuracy and detail it gives. It just seems like the person who wrote this already witnessed Jesus' death. Already seen what happened. But it's a prophecy written hundreds of years before his birth. You can read passage after passage in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. And some of them are pretty obvious like this one. And some you have to take some more work to connect the dots. Like we saw yesterday with the sacrifices in the Pentateuch. Just pointing to Jesus. In the Gospels, we can see the fulfillment of these prophecies. When he was pierced, buried, crushed, and bore our sins. The whole Bible is about Jesus. About a holy God, sinful people, 
and God saving his people through Jesus. As you read the Bible, you need to see that it's all connected with one goal in mind, your salvation, so that you can glorify God. Don't treat every book as an isolated thing in the Bible. There are many different human authors, different themes and stories, but there's one real author behind it all. It's God, specifically Jesus. Jesus is the word. This is Jesus' words. It all connects. It's all about him. He is the word in flesh. Before we leave this passage, let's come to our main point, our sacrificial savior. Why did God humble himself? Why did he make these promises? It was to take our place, bear the punishment that we deserve for our sin, dying in our place so that we might worship the holy and awesome God. Let's look at it a little closer. He became like us. God, who had never experienced pain, became a man. He knows what it's like to be rejected, despised, to have sorrow. He can empathize with you. We have a sympathetic high priest. On the cross, he was pierced and crushed, and his wounds heal us. His blood sprinkled many nations. We weren't healed by dandelions and rainbows. We weren't just like, boom, you're healed. You're forgiven. I'm just going to forget about everything you did. There had to be a payment. There had to be a sacrifice. We sinned. He's a holy God. He can't just let sin slide by. He can't just let it go unpunished, unnoticed. There has to be a payment. Is that payment going to be you? If you're not in Christ, you are going to be, you're going to suffer. You are going to pay that price. But he provides a way for you not to have to pay that payment. To not have to suffer for eternity. Jesus, he is our sacrifice if we believe in him. Blood had to be spilled to pay for our sin. You see the type of it in the Old Testament, the sacrifices, all the lambs, they were sacrificed as a picture of what needed to happen. Blood had to be spilled to cover our sins. Jesus is our lamb. He is our sacrifice. It was supposed to be our blood. But instead, he took our spot. He became our substitute. How often do you look at your sin and think, Jesus paid for that. With his wounds. He was a lamb led to the slaughter for you yelling at your sibling, for you not forgiving your friend, for you thinking that you are better than others, for your own pride, your own self righteousness, for you prioritizing yourself over God. Thank God for his grace. Thank him for it. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve him suffering and dying for us. That's all the gift of grace. All those sins that we commit over and over again every day, he's paid for them if you're in him. He's washed you white as snow. You are his son, his daughter. We can't miss that. As we can get convicted over our sin and our guilt, 
creeps in. Remember, it's been paid for. Jesus has paid for that. As we read about this, as we see our sin, as we see how we've mistreated the Lord and how, how we keep missing the mark over and over again, it should just cause us to worship him, honor him, glorify him, behold him. He was punished for us. It's not just a physical punishment that the, suf- the servant suffers. It's not just the thorns in his head. It's not just the nails in his hands and his feet, the spear in his side, the beating, the spitting. It's, it's, not, it's not just that. It's a spiritual one. That's the more important one. He bore our sins on the cross. He carried them there. He paid our debt once and for all. It's finished. There's no more need for suffering. There's no need for him to die again and again. Your salvation, if you're in Christ, is complete. There's nothing else you have to do to earn it. It's done. The debt is paid for once and for all. The Lord crushed him. And Jesus took the full weight of our sin upon himself, paying for eternity of sin. It's not just that he paid for most of it and you just have to earn a little bit more to get there. He took the full weight He did it perfectly. The Lord crushed him perfectly. Everything was on him. All of our guilt, all of our sin, all of our pain. This was far worse than everything else that Jesus endured. You see him crying out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had eternal oneness with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And now he's alone. He is separated not only cut off, but experiencing the wrath of the Father. That's not right. That should not be the case. We deserve that wrath. We deserve that punishment. And he's there taking the full weight of it. He deserves eternal oneness with the Father. Instead, he's being rejected by him. He's being crushed by him. He's been separated and just experiencing God's wrath on him. In an instant... He is taking the eternal punishment that every believer deserves. Do you see that? Does that change your life as you behold him? If you were about to get hit by a car, maybe here at camp, and a camper just jumped in the way, like pushed you out of the way, saved you from getting hit by a car, wouldn't that have an effect on your life? You'd be thankful to that person. Thank you, you just, you just saved my life. You just see that person differently. You 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 want to be their friend, maybe. <laughs> you, you you would have some gratitude towards that person, and that should be us. Jesus did so much more than just push us out of the way of a car. We we owe him our life. That's this is eternal life. It's not just life here on earth. He saved us for eternity. Forever we get to be with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. We get to be with him in the throne room, praising, worshiping him, if we believe in him. Not everyone here is a Christian. If you're not a Christian, what's holding you back? Do you see Jesus' sacrifice and not care? Do you think your sin isn't that bad? Sin is horrible and disgusting. The world tries to tell us that it's fine. Even good. But our sin is bad enough that the holy, awesome God had to die for it. Do you see that? 
It's, it's not fine. Sin isn't fine. God had to die for it. We can explain our way our sin by saying, it's, it's just who I am. I'm only human. My bad. Everyone else is doing it. I'm not, I'm not hurting anyone. Or at least I'm not as bad as other people out there. I hope that you see this passage and see just how bad your sin is. And that you would want to follow Jesus. Pray that you would hate your sin. You would cry out in repentance. That you would want to worship God. That you would see, I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I, I don't believe in Jesus. I, I need this Jesus to pay for my sin. I can't take it myself. I need to take it seriously. Pray that you would do that. As we read these passages about Jesus dying on the cross, we can become numb to them. We hear the gospel over and over again, church, youth group. How can we become numb to these passages? Why aren't we stirred up to worship God? How can we go quickly from reading a passage about God being pierced for our sin and go right out and sin? How can we do that? How can we so quickly forget the sacrifice? How can we see the sacrifice and not want to worship God with everything that we have? We are broken. I can't love my family like I should. I can't serve my wife like I should. I keep sinning over and over again. I hate my sin. And then I just, I just run straight back to it. Why? Why do I do that? I need Jesus. I need his sacrificial blood sprinkled on me. I need his forgiveness every waking moment. I am a sinner. I don't just have a little sin problem. I am desperately wicked. If you could see the darkest parts of my heart, you would run away. We try to make ourselves look good so that others will accept us. But with God, we don't have to pretend. He loves us just as we are. His blood covers up every ugly, wretched part of me. When the Father looks at me, he doesn't see my selfish, prideful, lustful, uncaring heart. He sees me drenched in the blood of Jesus, dripping with red and clothed in brilliant white. Our heart must cry out in worship. Jesus paid it all. I am free from the life I once lived. I can now worship God. The debt I owe is paid in full. The full wrath of God that I deserved was poured out with vengeance on Christ. I am forgiven. Do you see that? If you are in Christ, you are forgiven. There's nothing you need to do to earn salvation. There's nothing you need to do to earn favor with God. It has been completely paid. Don't get filled with guilt when you, when you sin as a believer. Don't just wallow in your, in your sin and your suffering. Look to Christ. He's paid it all. He deserves the glory. Don't try to take that away from him by beating yourself up. He was beaten already for you. He was already crushed for your sin. Look to him. Worship him. 
We need to worship God with everything that we have. Don't try to do more, try harder. Grace is a free gift given to you. If you are an unbeliever here, it's a free gift. Take it. Take hold of it now. It's been extended to you. Receive this Savior. See him lifted up on the cross. See him as he's pierced for your sin. Take a hold of that. Take his blood. Have it sprinkled on yourself. Be drenched in the blood of Christ. Grace is a free gift. We need to worship God with everything we have. Worship him, guys. Behold our selfless Savior. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us in your grace and your love and your kindness. You poured out your wrath on your son, Jesus. We don't deserve that. I'm a disgusting, wretched sinner. We, we hated you. We rejected you. We despised you. And you died in our place. You have saved us from our sin. Lord, I pray that as, as we look at you, as we behold you on your throne, seated there in awesomeness and glory, interceding for us, I pray that we would worship you with everything that we have. We wouldn't live lives for ourselves, but we live them for you and your glory. You deserve everything that we have. Praise you, Jesus, for being our Savior. We praise you, Jesus, for being pierced and crushed for our sin. In Jesus' name, amen.